Hey, girl. <gasps> hey, you, girl. You ready? Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh, happy 100th episode. Happy 100th. Wait, cheers me. Cheers, cheers me. Cheers, 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 cheers. Oh. We did I, this 100 times. We had this weird job. I know. Over 100 <laughs> times, plus the pates, plus gonna say, the after party. We're really, plus, it's much closer to like 250 at this point. But 100 on the feed on out the there. regular Like, feed. this is crazy. Congrats. I love you so much. I love you too. I'm, journey, I love doing right? this with you. You guys, last week we published an after party where we just reflected on our first 100 episodes. Yeah. And the whole year, it was a really fun trip down memory lane. Look, come Go on. Go check it out. You know what I want to say for the 100th time? Jillian Pensavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. Banana. Uh, you guys, before we get to our 100th episode, <gasps> just a quick reminder, we've got two live shows left this year, Toronto in September for the Just for Last Festival, mm-hmm. and then on Saturday, October 5th in mm-hmm. Brooklyn, we're teaming up with the guys from the Missing Maura Murray podcast and Maggie Freeling yes. to do a whole episode all about Maura Murray. Yes. I'm really excited for that one. It's going to be crazy. I've already decided I have a costume. I heard it. I, you dropped that in earlier. I was like, what the? What? <laughs> and it's related to the episode. Okay. So all just right. get ready. Just get ready. Okay. Also, the Patreon. Oh, wait. What, who? I I know. Who's she? Do I know her? Tell me more about her. Her name is Madam Patreon. Mm-hmm. At the $5 level, you guys, you get like 90 full bonus episodes to download right this second. Oh, she sounds fantastic. She's a gorgeous girl. And it's episode by episode coverage of Serial, The Staircase, Making a Murderer. Mm-hmm. Lorena, Disappearance of Madeline McCann. The Jinx. Oh, we're covering OJ now, too. We're covering OJ. OJ oh, bitch. Casey Anthony. Casey the, Anthony. The, Casey Anthony. You guys, there's so much we can't even remember anymore. Oh, it's so garbagey. I know. Not us, necessarily. No, well, not us. Uh, who knows? But mostly the people we talk about. Go to the pates, check it out, see what level you're interested in. We like options here, so we're giving you options. Exactly. That's all it is. Exactly. That's all it is. Jeez. All right, we love you. Should we get to this? Yeah, take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we're back here. I can't either. I love this movie so much. Watching it again, I just cannot believe how much I love it. I know. The gag is <laughs> the cinematography and the editing, like it is really great. The way it's they true. edit it. You always make fun of me for asking you about that in the original episode. But I love the editing, like my little nerd heart about like whatever. And yeah. we'll talk about it later, but that's the gag. All right, let's play the trailer. We gotta get to our hundredth episode. Oh my god. Oh my cheers, god. Cheers. Cheers, girl. Uh, we found a kid here. He's about 14, 15 years old. The thought of what somebody could have done to him, it gives you nightmares. He doesn't have no IDs, no documents on him. He's very scared. As long as I remember, I wanted to be someone else. We had no idea what kind of person we were getting. He had changed so much. There was just something wrong about it. I mean, who wouldn't see it? So we start with these home videos of Nick. Nick Nicholas Nick Barclay, Barclay is missing. Don't get so excited about that. It's I know. horrible. He's missing. <laughs> you know what it is? It, just, it feels like we're seeing it an old like friend. It feels like coming home. It does. It really does. The imposter. I, and I call him the imposter. I think we called him the imposter in the first episode, too. Did we? Because we don't learn his name till later. Okay. So we learned that in 1994, 13-year-old Nicholas Barclay disappeared from San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. His disappearance never made the news. And we meet, you know, his sister, his mom, his brother-in-law, his sister's husband. His hot brother-in-law. Can I say one thing? What? So one of the first things we learn here is that his mother tells us that his disappearance never made the news. It wasn't news to them. It was just news to us. No, he was a white 13-year-old boy. He was a 13-year-old Madeline McCann in San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, you cannot tell me that his disappearance didn't make the news. Or my other question that we never get an answer to, and I actually looked this up and I still can't find an answer to, when was his disappearance reported? Because that makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. about how much media coverage this gets. Yeah, I'm pretty suspect of this family. Yeah, so you know how we have a hero bell and a garbage bell? Yes. I'm just saying it occurred to me today that maybe for this one episode we could have a bullshit button. Ooh! <laughs> I, I, 
we will not be the morning zoo. Like, we are not, <laughs> I, I said that from maybe not episode one, but very no, early on. No, I will find a great sound and I will add it in post. So I just say bullshit button? Yeah. Whenever we're going to do a bullshit button, we're just going to say it. All right. Do I get approval on what the sound is? Sure. <laughs> and it only counts for this one episode. It's got to be quick because I'm going to say it a lot. Okay, totally. So it's got to be, it can't be like a wah, wah. That's no. too much time. I'm, I'm going to be like bullshit, 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 bullshit. <laughs> I'm thinking like a doorbell. Um, We can do better. We'll do better. Because that sounds like welcoming. Like, oh. Oh, okay. It's got to be like, like, like <laughs> some horrible, like the game Operation. Totally. When you hit the sound, like yeah, yeah, something totally. horrible. All right, I'll find a horrible sound. Okay. I'm just saying, I'm calling the bullshit button on the fact that his disappearance didn't make the news. He is the exact kind of kid, especially at that time, mm. whose disappearance would make all the news regardless of how poor they were. So yeah. bullshit button number one. So now three years and four months after the disappearance of Nicholas Barclay, we're suddenly in Spain. Right. <laughs> All right. I've always wanted to go to Spain. It's October 7th, 1997. <laughs> we get this police audio. Someone's calling the cops saying, hey, look, I'm a tourist. Uh-huh. I'm here on vacation with my wife. We found this kid. He's probably about 14 years old. He doesn't have any ID on him. He's terrified. You guys going to be here or not? And the thing is, so the imposter, right? The imposter is our main narrator here. Yes. He is the definition of an unreliable narrator. The most important thing for me and what I learned very fast was to be convincing. He's an imposter. Exactly. He's done this before. Spoiler. Right. It's called the imposter. I'm, I'm just so sorry to break the news to you. Mm-hmm. But we're learning this all from him. And so we learn that like the cops seemingly immediately call the family in Texas without doing any investigation whatsoever. Right. And they're like, hey, we found Nick in Spain, like sight unseen. And I'm just like. This is already suspect. I got to also say my favorite person in the world, Sister Carrie, she's not exactly sure where Spain is. Ecstatic? Bewildered? You know, Spain? Isn't that like across the country? Um, She thinks it's on the other side of the country. And I know, I know she's misspeaking. I know, I know. I know that no matter if someone in her family is responsible for Nick's disappearance or not, she's going through it. I don't think she had anything to do with it. The poor thing. She misspoke, but it's the first of many things that she says where you're kind of like, oh, Carrie, sweetheart. But it's also that thing where like when she said that, the director was like, oh, keep the camera on this one. She's going to have some gems. Right, right. She does not disappoint. Carrie really gives us some lobs. The sports reference. I did a sports. I did did a sports. And we didn't have to go outside. (laughs) So Carrie Gibson is the sister, right? Yeah. We meet Brian, her husband. Super hot. The cops are calling sight unseen. Like, we found found Nick. Carrie is is saying all these words. And and the mother Beverly, right? We meet Beverly too. And Carrie and Beverly are like, we were elated. We couldn't (laughs) wait. And Brian is the only person who uses words like worrisome. (laughs) Curious. Of course, it was mysterious, it was uh, exciting, it was worrisome. It was all mixed emotions, you know? So, like, right away, no one's asking any questions except for Brian. And in my head, I'm like, they totally got in a fight over this. (laughs) Like, Carrie's screaming, just let me have this. And Brian's like, but I love you, and I just want to make sure that you've been through enough. Like, Uh can I just ask some questions? And she's screaming, Brian, no. And he's like, okay, fine. And then he, like, sits quietly eating, like, a TV dinner. Right, (laughs) Brian wants to ask a couple questions. Carrie and Beverly are like, they found him. Let's go. Let's drive to Spain. Road trip. We're driving to Spain. (laughs) But then, so then I have in my notes, then we cut to this real weird looking guy. Yeah, the imposter. Now we meet the imposter. You guys, Uh he is wearing the goddamn ugliest shirt I have ever seen. It's like a blue shirt. We only see him from like the shoulders up. But it's just what we don't even see his shirt. (laughs) What? That's the thing you focus on? I really, really hated his shirt. What can I say? So we're talking to the imposter in his ugly shirt. And you're kind of like, how are we talking to him? I know. And we also see some of the best reenactments we've ever seen in a documentary. It's true. And that we started with those, you know, like episode one. Totally. You know, like I love, I love these reenactments, how they do this editing. It's the best. We could never have known this at the time, but like this was a great documentary to be our first. It really was. You know what I mean? Nobody ever gave me a childhood because to give a kid a childhood, you need to to love that kid. Nobody ever gave a damn about me. And to know that if I change my identity, the reward was eventually to be put in a place where actually they really cared about me. And hell yeah. I mean... I was reborn. <laughs> I was born again. 
And he's now admitting that he's the one that was in the phone booth right from the start. He's like, this the whole thing is fake and I'm the one who made this whole fake right, right. story. He's telling us that like, look, I'm a 23-year-old guy. I'm out in the cold. No one's ever loved me. I'm just trying to find a place where I could go where someone's going to give a fuck about me. I want to go to like a kid's home. Right. Like a shelter. And he's like, I've been doing this for a long time. And the thing is, I'm like, wow, is he this good at it? Because it's pouring rain. I'm like, did he like check the weather? Right. And like make sure it was raining? Because as dramatic as possible. Because who's going to say no to some terrified kid who can't speak in the rain? Totally. And he's saying, like, when the police arrive, I have immediately to put into their mind that they have a kid in front of them, not an adult. So it was very important for me to behave like one. They would see me with a big coat, with a younger clothes, and they would see a kid with a hat, which is very low in the eyes. They couldn't see my eyes. I wanted to provoke on them a sense of guilt. Of being adults and to be close to a kid which is dead scared. When the cops show up, it's all about manipulating them. It's just about making them feel sorry for me, mm-hmm. making them ask me horrible questions about, like, have I been sexually abused? They would try to, like, reach out and, like, take his hand and he would flinch. Yes. And he he says, he was like, I wanted to provoke in them a sense of guilt. Honestly, like, for someone who's an imposter, yeah. one of the most honest people we've ever seen in any of these documentaries. Because he's clearly a sociopath. This person right, right. has no emotions. He does not care about what, how his actions affect anybody else. Right. And the editing in this is so well done that while people are talking about horrible things that he described yeah it'll cut to him like looking down and then looking up and smiling I know it's so good he's like an evil clown yeah. he really is like it's well all clowns are evil <laughs> So, I stand corrected. So, so I should have just said he's a clown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not like they got like, oh, look at this clown over here. Not right. that kind of clown, you know. We also learn like back in Texas, we learn about the day that Nick went missing. So this is the thing that makes me crazy. Nicholas Barclay gets lost in this documentary. This is the thing about true crime situations sometimes. Yeah. Where the victim gets lost here. But here's what we learn. His mom, Beverly, said, yeah, you can go to play basketball or whatever, but you have to be home by dinner. Here's five bucks and I'll see you later. Beverly worked nights, so she slept all day long. Right. So he called home. He's 13 years old. So Nicholas calls home asking for a ride from the basketball court. And his older brother, Jason, answers the phone. When I woke up, Jason was there and said that he had called and wanted to ride home. But Jason didn't want to wake me up. So told him he had to walk home. And that's what's the day, the last time we heard from him. And that's it. Like, that's the story of Nick going missing. So the thing is, like, we hear Beverly say at some point, like, he probably just got in a car. Like, somebody said, hey, do you need a ride? And mm-hmm. Nick just got in the car. And whatever that person's nefarious intentions were is what came to pass. Mm-hmm. Again, this is where I asked the question, when was he reported missing? So now we're back with the imposter. And he says this thing where he's, like, talking to the cops before he goes to the children's home. Because yeah. he's like, all I have to do is wait out the cops. Because if I don't speak and they don't know who I am, they can't charge me with anything. They just have to, like, put me in a kids home which is exactly what he wants as a 23 year old which is like is there weirdness there like what's going on I I really think this guy just has never experienced love in his life and he's just looking for a little bit of like security okay he's also like a really bad person right he says the cops say if you don't tell us if you can't prove us who you are I'm gonna have you fingerprinted and your pictures taken I couldn't allow that to happen I had to find a way out of that what? Just fingerprint the kid. Right. Like, just take his hand and fucking fingerprint him. But this him. is just the beginning of this whole section where I call I the bullshit button yeah, on yeah. every single thing he's saying here. Right. Quip again. Totally. Because we don't hear anything from the cops. You know what I mean? No. Like, you don't, you're not given the option of a fingerprint or not. No, they just take your hand. But also at the same time, if you were a cop who fell for this 23-year-old, would you want to be on camera? Right. I certainly wouldn't. Right. So he ends up at this place where they're mad that he doesn't have an ID. Right. And he's like, you know, unfortunately, for me it was one of those places which is very rare in Spain but they kind of can't stand it when a kid doesn't have an ID card so the only only thing left there was was one go to prison two Prove to them that I'm someone. So the imposter comes up with a story that he's an American runaway and only he can contact his family himself. And he's like, so I convinced them, these like grown ass adults who've been doing this for a long time. Look, look, just, just <laughs> look, leave look, me. Look, look, look. Just you hold on a second. You take a seat. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, bitch. Now we're just, it's a hard truth episode. We're just doing it all. No, bitch. He's like, okay, I'll just stay here in your office totally by myself. You guys go home and get some sleep. All night long. All night long. So you, because of the time difference, you see. Right. So, <laughs> Patty Peterson. So the time difference, you see. And so he's like, you just leave me alone. A kid, a runaway who's not speaking, who was totally sexually abused, according to you and also me and my demeanor. <laughs> right. So tomorrow, by the time you come back to work tomorrow, I'm going to have everything you need. Let me make the phone calls, right. you guys. You go to bed. You look tired. And in the reenactment, you see this sort of like severe looking woman, like looking at her colleagues like, this doesn't seem like a good idea. I don't think we should do this at all. But OK, fine. they throw their hands up and right. they just leave for the night. Of course, even in the reenactment, whoever the filmmaker is like, can we just have the woman trying to be like, can we not right. let the woman do the work? Like 100 percent. So but the thing is, they do this really, really cool edit move where they like have his audio, him telling the story presently, and then they make it sound like a telephone. Yeah. So I called American police. And South, Detective Fowler. The New York police. Lieutenant Kojak's office. Different police station in the States. Dobie here. Who is this, please? I told them every time that there was a policeman from Spain called Jonathan Dorian that we had found a kid. We're sure that he's from the state, but we don't know where. How long ago was this? He's been maybe missing for a few years. That someone must be looking for him. He's like left to his own devices, according to him, and all night long, and he starts making these phone calls, and he's trying to figure out like who's missing, who can I be, what's going on, who can I act as. There's this great filmmaking thing that this guy does here, where he's we're being told by the imposter that he's calling like the United States, and on the receiving end of these phone calls is like stock footage from like Colombo, like all co- it's not Colombo because because no. it would be Colombo. <laughs> Steve said to me today, he's like, you know, Julian loves Colombo. I don't think Colombo's in there. He's not, but but the imposter quotes Colombo. Colombo later, like reference right. Colombo later, totally. which is that I, de- I probably definitely said in the first episode. It's all these like stereotypical like cop movies or uh-huh. cop TV shows where it's like, hey, what do you got? We're on our way. Slam, click. There we go. I literally have, I'm like, it's Colombo, Cagney and Lacey and Scooby-Doo. They all answer the phone. Right. Just not Colombo. <laughs> not Colombo. Because Colombo would have solved it. That's Columbo true. Colombo would have been like, oh, just one more thing. This makes no sense to me. <laughs> But the thing is, he's making all these calls and he's everything he says is very vague because he's acting like I have this kid with me and I don't know if it's going to match who is missing in your town. Uh So he's like, it's a kid. He's wearing a shirt. Uh, he has eyes and hair uh-huh. and two arms. What do you got for me? So they're just sending their entire like roster of missing children. So Nicholas Barclay comes up. And because it's 1997, apparently they didn't have color printers back then. Right. They like fax this photo and he's like, let me just see if it's him. Like, let me see if I could pull off Nick Barclay. Totally. Let's see if I can do it. I look at it. Black and white picture, old picture. Well, be missing for three or four years. Guarantee one thing. There will be a change. If there is a change, there will be doubt. If there is doubt, then I got a chance. Something in my head decided that I could do it, that I had to try. So the imposter looks at this old black and white fax of Nicholas. Fax F-A-X, everybody, back in the day. Children, gather around. Uh, You used to be able to send, like, email through the phone. It's super crazy. And the paper was really thin. Yep, totally. And it was really, uh, it really was just black and white and grainy and smudgy and ridiculous. So the imposter's like, I can totally do this. I can totally be Nicholas. And the imposter, as a cop, is like, hey, you know, we got Moxie and you're never going to believe it, but this is him. Right, right. Says Cagney and or Lacey. Right. (laughs) Right. Now we're back to Sister Carrie. And apparently the mom has gotten the call from the missing and exploited children. And she immediately calls Carrie with the news. Right. And she's like, hey, bring, bring. Nick has been found in Leonera's. Look, I can't pronounce anything either. So I'm not going to shame them for that. So I'm like, okay, well, where in Texas is Leonaris? Texas has a lot of small towns. And then she was like, no, Spain. I'm like, Spain. So Carrie calls the shelter. Of course. Carrie's like, I'm going to call the shelter and like talk to my brother. Oh, my God. Carrie calls back. The imposter answers, pretending to be the policeman saying. Jonathan Duran. Like he has a name for it. (laughs) And like a super American name. (laughs) Totally. Totally. And he's like, yep, I got your brother sitting right here. Unfortunately, he tells me he doesn't really remember anything about his old life. And he's so traumatized that he's not speaking, which is also a real thing that happens. Yeah. We were told he was held by some kind of like a sex 
slave kind of ring and that he had escaped from there and that he was found wandering the streets. I wanted to hear his voice. No, I, absolutely. There was no way I was going to talk to her pretending to be Nicholas because I wasn't Nicholas and she was sister. So uh, that, would, that would have been a, a risk, too big a risk for me. It's also really sad because this movie has moments like this where you're seeing Carrie getting really emotional, learning that like her brother was a sex slave and now he's safe and she just wants to talk to him. And then it cuts to the imposter and he's like chuckling mm -hmm. about being nervous to like pretend to be Nicholas on the phone. Like I'm not going to do it. And he's laughing. And I'm like, he's a monster. Right. Like he's a he's a monster. So now we meet special agent Nancy Fisher of the local FBI. She's yet another FBI agent who says something very bluntly where yeah. I'm like, oh, ouch. <laughs> Generally, when a child is missing for years, either the child is dead or the child is not found. And to find that child in another country is extremely rare. And she's like, either he's dead or just not coming back. And I'm like, right. oh, God, Nancy, <laughs> Jesus. I get it, but ouch. Yikes. But she's also like the possibility of finding the kid in another country, impossible. It's just doesn't make sense. It never happens. But she falls under this. She believes the story eventually. So we'll get there. So the next day, back in Spain, the imposter the next day gets the actual color flyer of Nicholas Barclay. Where I'm like, wait, who sent him a flyer? At the children's <laughs> home? How did he get it? How did he get it? But I know. Regardless, he's like, <laughs> shit. Right. Because he looks at it and he's like, okay, so this kid is like a super teenager. I'm he's, 23. Uh, he's super white. I'm super not white. He has blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. I have dark hair and like kind of greenish gray eyes. Right. Oh my God. This is just not going to work. And he's just like, fuck. There's, you know, the only thing he had in common with me was that he had five fingers at each hand. And I said, fuck, let's burn myself. You know, I burned the flyer. And if I could have burned the identity that I said, and every word that had been out of my mouth for the past few days, I would have burned them too. And then we meet this guy, the ambassador to Spain or whatever, and he's like, girl, we're coming to get you. And this is just spiraling out of control. And the imposter's like, I'm not in control of this anymore. Like, should we bail? Yeah, we're bailing. Yeah. Like, he's bailing. He takes off. But at this point, kind of like how you were saying, like, okay, so the news wasn't going to cover Nicholas Barclay's disappearance. But now that the U.S. Embassy is involved, they're like, an adorable white kid is missing. <laughs> right? All hands on deck. <laughs> so the fact that the imposter thinks that he could run, uh -huh. he gets four feet. God didn't want me to leave this place. So now Carrie, Sister Carrie, as you call her, yeah. is on the way to Spain. And the imposter is told this, waking up the next morning, and he's like, oh, fuck, fuck. Now what am I going to do? So he's like, oh, shit. And then I realize, yeah, of course the sister's going to come. Of and course. And like, pick me up. Right. Then he's like, oh, wait, I look nothing like this photo. I look nothing like her brother. What am I going to do? So then we see Sister Carrie's perspective, and it's October 14th, 1997. She's talking about, and this is where I love her. She has led a simple life. She's never left the country. She's like, I don't even know what that entails, you know? She says she gets on the plane and she tries to sleep but that wasn't going to work and then she gets to Spain they have Coke there they have Coca-Cola <laughs> we stopped for a Coca-Cola which I thought was really cool they had Coke there Original TCO joke because I remember this from the first episode. Is it all coming back to you now, Celine Dion? Because you totally you said she thought it was real cool. That she they thought it was real there. cool. I don't know. I have to listen to it again, and I, I don't mean to like she's been through a lot. She has, but it's like across the country. I know doesn't know what it entails. Can we drive to Spain and then they had soda there? The worst offense of them all. Did you notice this? She's smoking in the car all the way to the orphanage the entire way with the windows closed, and she's like, who 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 am I looking? for what do these people look like they should they be in suits oh damn you can smoke here thank god oh we could smoke in spain oh thank god i'm like girl in europe of course you could smoke in europe <laughs> they insist on that's it. like yeah if you don't you're the asshole and okay so this is where carrie tells us a little bit about nicholas and look i gave a lot of stuff a lot of gooks today uh -huh. nicholas was not a good kid he had run away before for a night or two mad at mom i'm leaving i'll find a new mom a new home kiss my ass kind of thing and he, you know, and he would leave and she would hunt him down and find out where he is and he'd show up the next day. He was not, um, you know, this perfect, nice, sweet, innocent. He was a very street smart city boy. 
all these home videos that we see of him, he seems very sweet. He's calling his sister beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, he was running the show though. Totally. In those videos. And I read this one article that he, this is not in the movie and this would have been really helpful to know. Mm-hmm. He had gotten basically arrested for breaking into a convenience store and stealing shoes. And then he threatened a teacher with a knife. His like hearing on it was the very day after he went missing. So it sort of, oh, if that had been included, like that story makes sense that he would run away. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Carrie gets to the home, right? And it's kind of cool because we're getting this story from Carrie's perspective and also the imposter's perspective. I thought this was so great. Yeah, because we see the imposter and he's like, I know she's here and I know that I'm going to have to see her at some point, but I'm absolutely refusing to come out of my room. And I'm going to have to speak. And the minute she sees me with my olive skin, like the minute she sees me, she's going to know I'm not her brother. Like hands down. Yeah, she's super nervous. And, you know, she's in a foreign country for the first time. She's picking up her brother who she thinks has been a sex slave for the last three years right and she's saying like I saw him at the window and I waved and I'm like you saw who at the window you saw the imposter (laughs) the best is that he finally knows he's got to come out of the room right I waited maybe 10 minutes I knew I was about to lose everything I knew that I couldn't wait no more that I couldn't go away that I couldn't just disappear so I opened the door and I went down and I just had this image in my brain that he is like wrapped in the drapes from the room. Uh-huh. He's carrying the mattress. He has He's a hat like- on, sunglasses, a scarf. You can you can't see his face. He, it's like it's freezing cold in Antarctica. That's totally. how he's dressed, right? Yeah. And within one second, Carrie has him in a hug and an embrace. I love you. I see you. I'm gonna take you home. I'm here to get you. Like and no questions asked. No questions asked. And he is just like. What? And he says, he's so like present and so aware of what's happening because the imposter says there was no other way. She came for me and she was taking me back. So this is where it starts to like split a little bit because the whole next scene is about Carrie taking him into like a visiting room and she's got all these family photos and she's like, this is your uncle so-and-so. Remember him? This was your birthday. Remember that? Right. And Because she was told he doesn't remember anything. Right. And so when you hear it from his perspective, he's like, she was coaching me. She needed me to be Nicholas for X, Y, and Z reason that we'll get right. to later. But look, when you think about it from her perspective, she's just being like a loving sister who's like holding his hand and trying to like refresh his memory. She wants her little brother back. Yeah, now like this this, <laughs> this phrase is tainted, but I really do see both sides of it. Totally. Because it does seem like you don't ask any questions. Yeah. He doesn't look like Nick. He just doesn't. He doesn't sound like him. And she's teaching him and pointing out, so this is that. And the imposter is doing this thing that like hack psychics do and he was like jason looks the same cody's gotten pretty big huh mom god mom looks exactly the same she got put on weight um wanted to know if grandpa was still an asshole um told me how much he loved grandma and he missed her where it's like oh is grandpa still a real pain like just things where it's like (laughs) oh so how was that birthday just obvious things where like anyone can say yes to that just like family stereotypes yeah so they're both kind of giving each other what they need in this moment so Carrie is vouching for him right but Carrie also is like he did talk a little funny (laughs) but I'll let it slide and I'm like Carrie like even like oh I do think though that when you're a person who doesn't know how to talk to somebody who you know has suffered trauma totally you can make yourself believe that it could have changed them in any number of ways. And the thing is, trauma does that. Right. So the imposter, this is why he's such a sociopath and a bad person, uh-huh. because he's preying on all of the symptoms that can, not all of them, but some of them, not speaking. Yes. Not being able to remember things, taking on a different personality. He is preying on all of these things, and Carrie misses her brother and wants to save him and take him home. The one thing I will say is that they both tell us this story about how she like sees his nose, Nicholas, oh, and you were afraid I wouldn't recognize you. I would remember that nose. So I just, I remember touching his nose and telling him, um, I remember that nose. You kind of look like your Uncle Pat. This imposter guy has a very distinctive nose. He's mm-hmm. got a really big nose. Yeah, he does. And she says to him, like, oh, you have the same nose, just like Uncle Pat. And it's like when you see pictures of Nicholas Barclay, he does not have a big nose. Yeah. It's weird to the imposter that she says that, and she points out the nose, and it's a very distinctive feature of this person who's definitely not Nicholas. Right. It's weird. And the other thing is, so the imposter looks nothing like Nicholas, but a very defining thing about Nick, he had a gap 
gap in between his two front teeth. Right. And when he smiled, you could see it. And then another great editing moment, the imposter smiles and he has a gap in between his teeth. Uh-huh. But that's something that a sister could look at and say... I know he doesn't feel like my brother, but he has that thing. Totally. He has that defining thing. Yeah, and so we're at the point where Carrie, the sister, and the embassy guy are vouching for Nicholas, saying it's definitely him. This judge and the police and the prosecutors do not believe it's him. Because they need a legal basis to like give Nick a passport and like make him a U.S. citizen, and they have to prove who he is. Part of the evidence that was in those interviews was a family photo album. And the judge said, listen, the only way for you to prove that it's you're really Nicholas, we got pictures here that you've never seen before. And so they're asking him all these questions about the photos, the very same photos that Carrie just happened to teach him. And she's like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? And he gets four out of five right. I'm the five when I made a mistake. But it was too late. She was already convinced I was Nicholas Barclay. I, I just love that this like judge in Spain is like, the, there's only one way we can really make sure you're who you are. Identify these five photos. Like, it just seems ridiculous. Like, what are we back in Portugal or Florida where there are no rules and nothing makes any sense? But it works. And he gets a U.S. passport and we see the passport. We see the picture. We see it. The next day they get on the plane and they're going home and... We see the whole other side of the family, the mom, the cousin, the brother-in-law, whatever. They're all waiting for them at the airport. And we have this other dual moment of like Carrie's side of the story and then the imposters. I didn't understand why he was so like nervous. You know what I mean? He was like, you know, constantly moving in the bathroom and watching people, watching me. She was always watching me. She was always looking at me. She was making me super jumpy. She would not stop staring at me. This brought his eyes on me the whole time, making me super uncomfortable. But then also we get the actual home movies of him getting off the plane and the whole family is there. October 18th, 1997. It's like actual home foot. It's, it's crazy. And you know, everybody gets off the plane before him. He's the last one to get off. And like, he comes off the plane looking like Michael Jackson, wrapped up in scarves and hats. And the dark sunglasses. And the mom, Beverly, says this thing where I'm like, oh. Yeah. You changed so much. It, it was like mind boggling. But then I realized, you know, you, you tell yourself, well, he's been through all this horrendous stuff so he's absolutely going to be different you know he wasn't the nick i knew but he's been through a lot so that checks out yeah and then she goes to hug him and he recoils and she's like wow this kid's real messed up and i'm like i know so from this point on nobody says anything about therapy or getting him help or trying to maybe acknowledge or work through what they think this person, their son, brother, whoever has gone through. No one says the word therapy. You know what really stuck out to me this time? What? My thing is nobody in the family even mentions, hey, what happened? Are you okay? No, not even that. Like, let's figure out what happened to you. Uh-huh, Who yeah, took you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the story? Nobody right. asks any questions. And it's another thing. I didn't yeah. notice it the first time. Yeah, like, let's bring this entity down who did right. this to you. Let's, let's save all the other people. boys and all this stuff. Totally. It's another thing that makes the family look super guilty. That they know what happened to Nicholas. So yeah. they don't have to ask that question. Right. Because really, where, where their mind is, they're like, let's hop in the car, blast the goddamn doobie brothers and head on home i fucking hate that song that song gives the me brothers it gives me li- i'm saying that's a garbage yeah. <laughs> and the bullshit button now that we're now that we're talking about it the fucking doobie brothers get out of here so the imposter wakes up in texas and he's like okay so i did this whole imposter thing because i wanted to go to america because i thought it was all like a big city right he's a, he's a little disappointed when he wakes up the first morning in texas it's like a legit rude awakening yeah. and he's like the rooster or whatever and he's like I it's just flat for as far as the eye can see yeah listen people I just want to say people love Texas they love the flatness of Texas they love right but the imposter impostered because he wanted to get to a big city (laughs) in America So then they drive again, don't ask any questions or try to get his mental health in check. They just like take Nick around to go shopping. They drove me around and, you know, I knew I had to recognize something. So and I also knew that I couldn't because I never been there before. Hey, Kirk, how you doing? We met some people that 
knew Nicholas before he disappeared. I told them I didn't remember them. There was something, but I didn't remember them. Like I lost my memory, which what I told them. So now like townspeople are just like walking right. up and saying hello. <laughs> and he's relying on this like lost memory bit. And yep. honestly, you're a goddamn monster if you question it. I- you're the asshole. There's an imposter who's super not Nick Barclay. Who, like, everybody can tell that it's not him, but you can't say it. There's some guy who's doing the worst impression of, like, someone undercover. Right. Like, he might as well have those glasses with the big nose and the mustache, where it's like, <laughs> you obviously, obviously, uh-huh. you don't want anyone to know who you are. So now he finally meets Jason. He's like the older brother deadbeat guy that moved in. And was the one where Nicholas was like, hey, can I get a ride home from basketball? He was like, no, just walk. Exactly. So he comes home for like a visit and the imposter says to us like, he didn't buy it, not for a second. He didn't look at me like Nicholas and he didn't pretend to look at me like Nicholas. And uh, he said good luck to me and he left. And he didn't pretend to. Right. He's like, everyone was kind of like, cake for breakfast? Perfect. You know, whatever you wanted. Like, staying up late, movie. Like, everyone was really catering to him. Yeah. And Jason didn't care. Jason clearly knew that it wasn't Nick, but he also, like, just didn't care enough to say anything to his family. Like, the whole family dynamic here is fucked. Right. So now we just cut to Nancy from the FBI. Nancy Fisher, who I love. And she's like, okay. (laughs) Because she had said to them, go get your brother. But when you get him back here, the very first thing we have to do is interview him and find out what happened. I want to do my job. I want to investigate. This is a horrible thing. I got to do my job. I'm Nancy from the FBI, (laughs) goddammit. I did not receive any telephone calls from the family saying, you know, Nicholas is back. Please come over and talk to us. We need help. And I felt like it was imperative that he be interviewed quickly. It's been weeks that he's been home and no one called. This is, again, this is more evidence of the family's guilt. Right. Because it's like, wouldn't you again be like, we need to find out who did this? And even if they didn't have anything to do with his disappearance, they just want the imposter to be Nick. Right. So at the very least, they're not going to call Nancy from the FBI to get to the bottom of it. Exactly. They don't want to know about that because the bottom of it is that this French 23-year-old guy (laughs) is their kid. Right. So Nancy meets the imposter and she's like, okay. Not that people can't change in three years, but this person in general did not appear to be 16. He had a shadow of a beard, a dark beard, that I doubt if Nicholas would have had a shadow of a dark beard at the age of 16 since he had blonde hair. He appeared to be quite nervous and he just seemed very uncomfortable this entire time. Immediately, she's like, this is not Nick Barclay. But hold on to that thought because like hero Nancy, like in five minutes from now, is going to be fully convinced that it is him. I didn't give her a hero bell. I'm just, <laughs> I'm very back and forth with the, with the Nance. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So she's not Nancy Grace. No, not that bad. We have, a, we have a spectrum of Nancys no, where it's yeah. like your Nancy Grace is the worst. Nancy Kerrigan is the best. Nancy Kerrigan. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy somewhere closer to she's farthest away from Nancy Grace right she's not without being full Kerrigan right right no yeah. she's hovering over the middle yeah. on the on the <laughs> you guys can see I'm making a like a measure tape measure anyway so here's what we learned that the imposter tells Nancy what happened to him uh-huh walking home from a sensible basketball game in San Antonio because my dick brother didn't wake up my mom to come get me I had to walk garbage <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> I love the garbage was getting a lot of play in the hundredth. Got to bring it back. Even though she wasn't in the first, but anyway. I told them that um, I was taken by military overseas. I was abducted, put in a van, and fly over to some places that I never knew where it was. That uh, we were kept in a room with different kids. They get chloroformed, and uh, they wake up, and they're, you know... In, in a place they don't know where they're at. And if this is true, it's not true. But, it's completely not true. But the picture he paints is absolutely terrifying. Yes. That it was the sex ring of young boys who were being chloroformed and sexually abused nightly. They were tortured. Their bones were broken. They were experimented on. They had needles in their eyes. And this is where I'm like, Nancy. I know. <laughs> I know, I know. When something, and also tell this to your like probably conservative aunt and uncle. <laughs> when the news story that comes on Facebook seems ridiculous. Yes, yes, yes. Give it a goo. 
if it seems like this is horrifying and too horrifying to be true, it is probably not true. The thing about Nancy Fisher is that she's so traumatized by just having been told this story. Uh-huh. She literally walks out of the room. Like, you can see her, like, holding her stomach and, like, just like. And someone's like, Nancy? Nancy? She's like James Brown, like, fainting on stage. Nancy, someone, someone get her some water. And she's like a mineral water, if you could. Chilled. Two ice cubes. Nancy. You know Nancy's very particular about her water. But so here's what else he said. Because he's like, oh, Nancy's buying this hook, line, and uh-huh, sinker. She's uh-huh. like, and then they did what? <laughs> and the thing is, if it actually happened, it's horrible, right? So then he's like, oh, I was also uh, forced to speak all these languages, which right. is why I have an accent. And if I spoke English, they beat me. And also, I had to learn all these different identities, which is why I don't remember any of my family. And lastly, yeah. but most importantly, <laughs> uh, they dyed my eyes they with di- a special solution, solution after they put needles through my eyes. Oh, my God, you guys. It's just unbelievable. And, and Nancy's like, how'd you get out? <laughs> She's like, how? Oh, my God. God, she can't believe it. And he's like, well, uh, these, these, he's like, well, thanks for asking, Nance. So what happened was, is that as these people were torturing me and had control over me for three and a half years. I'm just and needles in my eyes. Aunt Nancy in her office. She's like, she has popcorn now. <laughs> they did what? Wait, and then what? Nicholas, what? But she's fully invested. Hands on the desk, gripping the, the, the desk. The phone rings. She picks it up and slams it. She doesn't have any time. Bring, bring, slam. Nicholas, what else did they do? The needles in his eyes. It's ridiculous. So, so Nancy bated breath on the literal at the edge of her seat. What happened next, Nicholas? He's like, well, after three and a half years of holding me hostage and doing these categorically horrible things to me, I broke free and Mm -hmm. ran through one door and then another and then another and then another. And he ran through all of these like six doors. And then suddenly he was outside and realized he was in Spain. And he didn't run and make the phone call himself. Uh-uh. He just like ran and took solace in a phone booth <laughs> in the rain. Because maybe the imposter was never loved before, but he saw a movie at least once in his life because everything good or tragic happens in the rain. So he didn't say, oh, my God, you won't believe what I just ran from. Right. Police. Right. He waits for this tourist, air quotes, and his wife to not say a word about Mm -hmm. anything. And Nancy is, she (laughs) has run out of napkins with the greasy popcorn. This was a horrendous interview. And when I left, I was shaken by it because it had all the horrific emotional side effects that go with listening to such a story. She could not believe the story anymore. She believes she believes the living shit out of this story. Because she's like, of course I believed him. Who wouldn't? Right. Who would lie about this? And I'm like, an imposter. Nancy, is this your first day at the FBI? It's her first day. Because she goes, either he's a victim or he's a fantastic actor. <laughs> We got a lot of mileage out of Nancy today. I'm going with actor, oh my Nance. God. I'm going with actor. But now we got to talk about Charlie Parker. I know. And see, now this is, I think I remember this, like not jazz legend Charlie totally. Parker, <laughs> private investigator Charlie Parker. Who is a legend in his own mind. Oh, totally. So this guy, Charlie, but not jazz legend Charlie Parker. P.I. Charlie Parker is hired by hard copy to track this kid down because they want, like, of course it's hard copy. They want to do like an exclusive interview with Nicholas. Right. So Charlie Parker, not jazz legend, but legend in his own mind. Charlie Parker. Is that that's, it seems a little wordy to say every time. Uh, but he meets with Beverly, Nicholas's mom. Yes. And even though Nancy, Nancy pulling her hair out, Nancy begged the family not to talk to the media. Uh huh. Charlie Parker calls and Beverly's like, yeah, in two minutes, I'm here now. You want to come over? You know, they paid for that. You know, they right. got money for that for sure. So now we cut to all this news footage because like Beverly gave permission yeah. that they can talk to the imposter. <laughs> is Eyewitness News at 10. He disappeared without a trace three years ago. Tonight, a San Antonio boy is back home. And we see him again looking like, you know, sunglasses, hat, scarf, 15 layers. Five o'clock shadow. Totally. Giving these interviews, and Charlie Parker is standing there, and he's standing behind, like, one of the monitors. Mm -hmm. I moved over behind a a booth, and it was almost fate. Uh, uh, Behind that booth... uh, 
was a picture of the actual Nicholas Barclay. And I could look at that picture and look at him at the same time. And as I looked at the picture, I noticed that the boy had blue-gray looking eyes, and this man had brown eyes. It was a moment where the hair stood on the back of your neck, and, and uh, there was just something wrong about it. He's doing this back and forth, and he's like, blonde hair, blue eyes, teenager, <laughs> olive skin, dark eyes, 23. Right. <laughs> Five o'clock shadow. Look, look. I know I'm a legend in my own mind, but hey, a dummy can pull this off. Let's get swinging. So, and... And in all these interviews, the imposter doesn't even try to lose the accent no. because he convinced Nancy, FBI Nancy, yes. if I didn't speak in these crazy accents, they would torture me more and like electroshock me and put needles in my eyes. Exactly. Unbelievable. But so then Charlie Parker immediately is like, something's up here. This is not the right kid. No, no, no. There's only one way to prove it, though. Something was wrong. I said, can you get me a picture of his ears? I need to get get that. Because he gave something to Goog. He was like, look. I had um, read about Scotland Yard using that method to trace down a man, uh, James Earl Ray, that had killed Martin Luther King. They caught him in Heathrow Airport by identifying his ears. And I'll tell you this, it sounds a little kooky, but they show us a picture of the imposter's ears and the real Nicholas's ears. You can tell they're not the same person. Because Charlie Parker says at a diner, he's like, look, he goes, I got two pictures. He goes, I used a program called Adobe Photoshop and I zoomed it in. Ears don't match. It's basically DNA at this point. Yeah, so Charlie Parker is on the case. And he thinks that the imposter is like a super spy. We're just like, Charlie, it's not that serious. Yeah, he does definitely go to 100 real fast, but it is kind of like, he's like, you know, we live near an airport. This kid's going to bomb the airport. Like, this kid's a real- story with the military. Like, maybe there's something there. Because he's like, why would anybody do this? It's so funny, too, because it seems like just, to me, there's like 80 reasons why somebody would do this. But I guess it was a simpler time. Right. Or or not. But Charlie calls Nance. (laughs) Right. Nancy the FBI. Right. And he's like, Nance, how are you? It's me, Charlie Parker. Not jazz legend, but legend in my own mind. I'm calling you here, and look, the ears don't match, Nance. They just don't match at all. What are we going to do about it, kid? And Nancy's like... Nancy's like, well, I don't know, Charlie Parker, legend in your own mind. The family says it's him, so I really don't know what, what me as the FBI can do about this. The family says it's him, it's him. And Charlie Parker, legend in his own mind, is like, but Nancy, the ears, Nancy. You got moxie, kid. We got to do this. We got to be swinging here. I just don't understand because Nancy's like, hold on a second. Like Nancy in her pure of heart. Yes. Like can't believe like why on earth would right. you take in a stranger if you know in your heart and soul and bones it's not your son, brother, whoever. But remember five minutes ago, Nancy, when you knew in your heart and song and bones? Uh, yeah, I said it... soul, but sure, whatever you got to say. <laughs> Nancy is the one who pointed out the five o'clock shadow, the tan skin. The, like, right. Ni- but at this point, she's like, it's definitely Nicholas. So, Be- Charlie, don't interfere with the federal investigation. Right, because she says... Why would you ever, ever take in a stranger? Not just a stranger from this country, but a stranger from another country who speaks with a French accent. This has to be Nicholas Barclay. Why would you take in a stranger? Not just a stranger, but a stranger from another country. And not just a stranger from another country, but one who talks with a French accent. It has to be Nicholas Barclay, Charlie Parker. And I just have in my notes, Nancy, period. Nancy. You know what? You just got one tick away from Nancy Kerrigan, one tick closer to Nancy Grace. Look, I don't, I don't make the rules. I just made up this bit, but I don't make the rules. Now the imposter who's 23 years old with a five o'clock shadow starts going to high school. Because why not? Because we're here now. I finally succeeded to become a kid again, officially, with a passport, to have a second chance to, to be able this time to, to go to school and to succeed this time. So now we just like cut to Charlie Parker driving around Texas outraged. (laughs) Just like I'm like, he's going to get into a road rage accident. (laughs) Right. Totally. Because we have the imposter being like, I'm kind of living the life. I'm a 23 year old in high school. (laughs) The girls think I'm pretty handsome with the five o'clock shadow. Uh, Nancy totally believes every goddamn word I say. And somewhere Charlie Parker is screaming at the top of his lungs in like some Camaro or whatever, Mm -hmm. which I assume he's driving. I expected him any day to 
to, to blow up something at the air base or do something at the army base. So Nancy decides, okay, look, we're just gonna get to the bottom of this once and for all, because this is definitely Nicholas. We're gonna take him to Houston where we're gonna get some forensic testing done. Dr. Bruce Perry. We meet Dr. Bruce Perry. The imposter comes in and sits down with this doctor for five seconds, and the doctor's like, yeah, there's no possible way this could be Nicholas. I introduced myself, and as he spoke back, immediately my something in me just said, this is not right. This There's something wrong here. If he had a garbage bell, he'd ring it. Because <laughs> his basic point is there's no way that this kid could have grown up in an American household where they spoke English right. and not be able to speak without a foreign accent now. It's just impossible. Because he's like, let me talk to you about some uh, physiological reactions to trauma <laughs> right. where it's like this guy can talk the talk but he's really not walking the walk. He's talking about like eyes being dilated and yes. things that happen when people are talking about trauma they've been through especially being like a sex slave with needles in your eyes and all this stuff. Totally. The doctor's like, what are you wasting my time? I'm $600 an hour Nancy. <laughs> you know, I don't know who he is, but the person who was I was interviewing could not have been Nicholas Barkley. Well, so Nancy's like, oh. Okay, the worst scenario just showed up, and I don't like that. Well, I guess if the if Dr. Fancy Pants says that he can't possibly be Nicholas, he's not Nicholas. So I've got to call Sister Carrie and be like, you in danger, girl. Right. And Nancy says something. Remember, we were talking about misspeaking. Yes. Like going across the country to Spain. Yes. Nancy does one of those. This investigation did a 90 degree. It just went from one, one place all the way up to another. This case did a 90 degree. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't. It's oh, Nancy. 180, right? Oh, sweet Nancy. It's yeah, it's, it's 180, 180 yes. right? Okay. So Nancy calls Carrie and she's like, Carrie, we're in Houston. We're coming back. Do not be at the airport. She's like, cannot stress it enough. Right. <laughs> it's the most serious thing that's ever happened. Like, yeah. really, in your life. Like, you thought your brother was home safely. Yeah. Now that's not the case. Please, I'm telling you, I'm Nancy from the FBI. <laughs> Do not show up to the airport. And Sister Carrie's like, okay, fine. I won't be there. Fine. Just get off my dick about it. Like, I won't go. <laughs> Guess what happens? We fly back into San Antonio, and there's Carrie standing there. What? Who shows up at the airport? Carrie. <laughs> like a dummy. Like a fucking dummy. And she acts like Nancy wasn't just screaming at her on the phone, begging her, pleading, do not show up. This is a dangerous person. The reenactment in the movie is so great because Nancy makes a little like look when she sees Nancy's Carrie. She's like, bitch, are you... What did I just say? What did I just say? Say it back to me. What did I just say? So literally Nancy like walks past the imposter and Carrie and their reunion. Like embracing. Yeah. And she's like, what the fuck? And she goes and like calls the U.S. attorney. And she's like, what do I do? And they're like, okay. Oh, fuck. All right. So they tell her, just let him go. Like, let, let's just like temporarily, let's just see what happens and kind of like trail him. Because honestly, like he hasn't done anything yet. Uh -huh. His whole story is a lie. He clearly like just wants to be part of this family. But this family is also accepting him when it's so obvious he's not Nicholas. Like, let's uh -huh. just kind of see what happens here. Right. <laughs> so now we also cut to Carrie, though, because Nancy is like screaming to right. us as much as she can. Right. She's not screaming at all. But she's like, she welcomed this person home just like he was her brother. I didn't have any clue as to why she behaved in this manner. Because in my conversation with her, I had said, this person is not your brother. So now we cut to Carrie and Carrie's just like, I don't think, I don't remember her putting it in those words. I don't remember her putting it in those words exactly. Right. And I'm like, Carrie, I know. now you're lying. Why are you lying? But this because it needs to be her brother. I know, or they she knows her family killed her brother, and it needs to be her brother. See now, remember when I said earlier, I was like, I don't think Carrie knows what really happened. Yeah, but maybe I think I don't know. I uh... it's very hard. So the best part of this whole thing, this is my favorite part of the, our very first episode, because Nancy's like, you know, there's one way to settle this once and for all. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go to Nicholas's house uh -huh. and get a DNA sample, and we'll just run the DNA. I I know that that will prove that it's not. So Nicholas. DNA does exist back in right. these days. Exactly. So she goes and knocks on the door. Nick's mom, Beverly, opens the door, and according to Nancy. Not only does she refuse to give the DNA. And she lay down on the floor, literally lay down on the floor uh, and said, no, and you can't pick me up and you can't make me. I did not want to go anywhere with the FBI, but I don't remember refusing. I was stunned. I've never had that reaction before. She wasn't just apathetic. She was hostile. 
to be honest with you, I really have no idea what I was thinking at that time. Remember like Tanya from the 9-11 faker? Yes! She did that. Remember when her friend, she was like in that restaurant and she just started like wailing and screaming on the ground? That's what it felt like because Beverly like lays down on the floor and is just like, you can't pick me up. I'm going to dead weight you and you can't make me. And Nancy's like, what? Nancy literally says, I've never, in all my years, I've never seen a reaction like this. Right. And it cuts to Beverly and Beverly's like, I don't exactly remember it like that. Yeah, no. <laughs> so this changes everything for Nancy. She's like, Oh, you mean screaming, refusing to give her your DNA? Right. You can't make me, you can't make me? Yeah, Nancy finally woke up. Yeah, she knows that they all know more. And she's like, if they're accepting this imposter, they have to have something to hide. Like, exactly. why would they be doing this? And so Charlie Parker, the not the jazz legend, but uh-huh. the legend in his own mind, tells us. <laughs> Thanks for going down this, this journey with me. I really appreciate it. He says, you know, a few months after Nicholas went missing, remember the older brother? Jason. Jason, the one that we think killed Nicholas? Jason called the police and told the police, hey, my brother who's been missing for a few months, he just tried to break into our house. Right. And then apparently, like, Charlie Parker's like, this happens all the time. Right. <laughs> when people kill family members, they, like, call in these false police reports yeah. about the family member, and then there's never any evidence. But that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it, like, it tells the world that Nicholas is still alive. Right. And so now we get the imposter saying... I didn't need to be Colombo to put all the pieces together. That's a Colombo <laughs> reference that I know we talked about in episode one. So- <laughs> because he's like, okay. Because even he, the imposter, is weirded out that Bev didn't want to give the DNA. And also that Jason, the older brother, obviously knew that he wasn't Nicholas, but didn't say anything. And like said, good luck to you. Uh-huh. Like that. Even the imposter is like, what did I get myself into? Right. And he's saying, they killed him. Some of them did it, some of them knew of it, and some of them choose to ignore it. So now Nancy, FBI Nancy's like, I'm going to pull rank here. Yeah. Now she gets warrants to get DNA. Right. Because she's like, I'm not going to deal with this tantrum on the floor. What are you, for? Like, right. absolutely not. <laughs> I'm Nancy of the goddamn FBI. I have chilled mineral water whenever I want it. Right. I know you have to give your DNA. How and dare it's, you? It's weird because we don't ever see them collecting the DNA, but we do get fingerprints. And so they get his fingerprints and they run the fingerprints. I was like doing a dance and everybody was high-fiving and it was just like you know we finally we finally know who this person is and my heart was beating fast just like it is now thinking about it and uh and i said who are you he said i'm frederick bordeen and i'm wanted by interpol and we get this whole five-minute montage of all of these different aliases, all of the different places he's lived, all of the different countries, all of the names he's used. Like, this guy is fucking crazy. He was wanted by Interpol. Uh, exactly. Like, it just keeps going on and on and on. So what we find out in this moment, he gets arrested. He was only with the Barclay family for four and a half months. I thought this yeah. went on for years. No. But it was only four and a half months. And we see Carrie, and Carrie seems actually devastated. The first feeling was complete sadness because it wasn't Nicholas which took us back to square one where is Nicholas that was the first one second emotion was uh, how could I be so fucking stupid I mean seriously uh, she's been through a lot but I, and I truly don't think that she knows really what happened to Nicholas but that moment where she's like I mean seriously it feels a little <laughs> inauthentic mm-hmm. and I love that so like they actually start questioning the mom Beverly about like do you know what happened to him did you kill him and Beverly's like I did not kill my son because I I been crazy but never violent and then she takes like three lie detector tests, which you know I don't believe in. Which is so weird because she passes two of them. And Nancy's like, do it again. Run it again. Run it again until she fails. And then she fails one, but it's like, Nancy. So Charlie Parker is like taking us to the house. So so now the house that Nicholas grew up in is owned by somebody else. Right. So Bev and all our friends or whoever, they don't live there anymore. So we go and we meet the homeowner. So now we're suddenly like with Charlie Parker and our new friend Daryl, who's the owner of the house I think the boy's buried here I want to talk to Daryl inside he's agreed to let me dig and see if Nicholas Barclay's here so I get the sense that Charlie Parker called Daryl uh-huh out of the yellow pages right. and was like here's what I think happened at your home 
do you think I can come by? And Daryl was probably like, yeah, I think I'm free next week. Like, where are you located? Right. And Charlie Parker's like, I'm in the motel down the street. How about like 6 a.m. tomorrow? Because Daryl is like, Daryl even says, he was like, well, when you told me about that last night on the phone, and I'm right. like, this happened super I know. fast. I know. So Charlie Parker has this theory that like Nick Barclay is buried in the backyard of this home. But Daryl tells us, like when I first moved in, the dog used to bark all the time in the back corner of the yard. And he would dig... And one day I was mowing and saw pieces of like plastic, kind of like a tarp kind of material okay. sticking out of the ground. I tried to pull it up to, to get it out and it just kept ripping on me as stuck on the ground. So I never paid any attention to it, never gave it any thought until last night when we were speaking on the phone. So he's like, I didn't think anything of it till our phone call last night. I'm like, everyone, if your dog digs up something and it's a tarp, you call everybody. Yes, yes. You think about it. Right. Not until Charlie, you don't wait until Charlie Parker, not jazz legend, but legend is on mine, calls you. If your dog digs up a tarp, you're like, what the? That's a bad scene. So it ends with like Charlie Parker, like, oh, well, let's di- let's dig up your backyard. Uh-huh. Like, shall we? Uh-huh. And you think that Charlie Parker is going to do it. <laughs> but it's this like aerial shot of like Daryl with a shirt off. From behind, thank God. Right. Digging. Yeah. And Charlie Parker, full suit. Just <laughs> arms folded. watching Because, you know, she's not she's not no. digging herself. And he's this guy, that guy who lives. Daryl. Daryl. He's like three or four feet down. Right. And he, for some reason, it's just game to dig up a dead body in the backyard. He learned about this 10 hours ago. And Charlie Parker's like, keep going. Keep going. Your work's not done here, Daryl. Keep going. I know. They don't find a body. No. We see Frederick like in jail. Connie Chung is interviewing him. Frederick has a goddamn phone in his cell. I was like, where is this? Where is he? Because Connie Chung is like, even from behind Mars, he continued to lie to families of other missing children. From this phone in his cell, Bourdine made hundreds of collect calls, claiming to have information about lost children. But he, he has a phone in his cell, and he's now calling just like, boop, 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 and just saying like, do you have a missing kid? I'm that kid. Like, <laughs> hundreds of times. Uh-huh. Like, from prison. It's tr- he has got a phone in his cell. I've literally never seen that before. And Connie Chung literally says like, ellipsis, but you get on his phone and you're calling all over the world. Yes. What are you doing? What, what are, are you doing? doing? The way she says what is the greatest. She looks at him and she goes, what are you doing? <laughs> and that's it. Like they had opened a homicide investigation. They closed it because they couldn't find anything. Frederick gets six years. He tells us one more time before we leave him that all he cares about is himself. Mm-hmm. We find out that he lives in France with his wife and three kids. He has like a professional like fan page on Facebook. He has a <gasps> Twitter account. What? He's like out among us, you guys. Does he have a job? Impostering. Girl, we redid it. We reduxed it. We reduxed it. Yes. Oh, that was that was amazing. That was that really was, fun to do. That was like my favorite recording we've ever done. Really? I think so. That oh. was really, really fun. Yeah, it was really fun. You guys go listen to our first episode and tell us how it's different. We have not listened to it. And now we're gonna. Uh, yes, now, totally. now, now we have permission to go listen back. Yeah, because we're gonna then do an after party down oh, like in I'm a week or so. Sweat the whole time. I, it's gonna be so like horrible to listen to. Oh my god. <laughs> You guys, we love you so much. Don't forget, two more chances to see us live this year. Mm-hmm. Toronto in September and Brooklyn in October. Yep. That Brooklyn shows with Lance and Tim and Maggie where it's all about Maura Murray. You need a passport to get to both places. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Those tickets are going really fast. Our live shows are so fun. I really can't tell you. You're not just sitting there watching a show. You, it's, oh, no, it's, no, no, no. it's a show and a half. All right. Since it's our 100th, yeah. can I turn around? Girl, what are we doing next? <laughs> you guys, next we are doing Oxygen's The Disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. Ooh. People have been asking for this for forever. I know. Here's how we're going to do it. It's two episodes, so we're going to do two episodes. Mm-hmm. So the first one will come out on the regular feed next Monday. On the Patreon feed, you'll also get the second one right at the same time. Ooh. And then it'll be the regular episode the following week. 
that sounds fun. Yeah, it's just a little nice thing to get the Patreon fam the yeah. both episodes at the same time. Yeah, the, the release schedule sounds fun, not the story. Right. Just want to be clear about that. <laughs> Where can they find us, girl? TrueCrimeObsessed.com for, you know, episodes and codes and live shows and the pates. All the pates. And all that stuff. And they can find you, Patrick Hines, on the Twitter and at Patrick Hines underscore on the Insta. That's right. You're so good. And they I can know. find you, Jillian, with a G on all the things. There you go. And you guys, don't forget the Patreon. You give like 85 full bonus episodes to get right this second. Mm-hmm. It's patreon.com slash obsessed. Go check it out. Stay tuned for the preview for The Disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. Mm-hmm. Our hilarious and fun outtakes. Yum, 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 yum. We love you. Bye. bye. Oh, this is so fun. Happy 100. Happy 100, girl. We did it. Oh, my God. All right, bye. Bye. It's a weird job, but we love it. We do love it so much. <laughs> There was a lot of turmoil in this house. It's eerie to think something happened here, really right where I'm standing. Susan Cox Powell, who's was beautiful. <laughs> she had these young boys, and then she just disappears. All of her friends say she would never leave her children. When's the last time you've seen her? Josh tells police he took their two young sons camping at midnight in sub-zero temperatures. Who would take their kids out camping at 2 o'clock in the morning, a 2-year-old and a 4-year-old? She told me that she was considering divorcing him. If something happens to me or my family, covering all my bases. I have no doubt that he was responsible. However, I could not prove it. Josh's father, Steve, was obsessed with her and in love with her in a sick and twisted way. He's stalking her, and he's created this fantasy that she's really wanting this. She knows I'm here. (laughs) He had something to do with it, no doubt in my mind. Is Susan's father-in-law the mastermind behind her disappearance? Move your hand, move the box. No! So, here we are. Daddy and daughter. It was this harassment campaign. There's nothing that could ever excuse what the police did to our family. It was unbelievable watching this thing unfold. I mean, how do you not be affected by it? God didn't want me to leave this place. Okay. Well, let's not do that. <laughs> God has bigger fish to fry. Uh, honestly, she really does. She does not care about your football game. She does not care about she your doesn't. Oscar. Be nice. Don't be a dick. Yeah. That's really all she cares about. Right. Exactly. Like Nancy in her pure of heart. Yes. Like can't believe like why on earth would right. you take in a stranger if you know in your heart and soul and bones it's not your son, brother, whoever. But remember five minutes ago, Nancy, when you knew in your heart and song and bones? Uh, yeah. That I it- said soul, but sure, whatever you got to say. <laughs> if I had a bell, I'd be ringing. <laughs> if Ask have- me how do I feel, Nancy, now that we're cozy Ooh. and bullshitting. <laughs> Well, sir, all I can say. (laughs) This is my favorite. I love it so much. So after, like, the imposter gets home and he's with Carrie. Yeah. Like, we just cut to Charlie Parker and he was like, fine. They wanted it to be their son and now it's getting ridiculous. I refuse to let this shit go. Like, now Charlie Parker, it's like his personal thing. Now he's, like, personally attacked by the imposter and, like, the Barclay family. He says it's getting ridiculous. He's like, it's ridiculous. I won't let this go. They know my regular order at the diner, so I'll be back. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner because now I'm in San Antonio. But I'm just saying, like, he refuses to let it go and he's angrily driving around San Antonio. The fact that he didn't get into an accident is a miracle. It's amazing. (laughs) Jessica Fletcher didn't get a call? Like, uh, she's not writing some novel about enough. You're an amateur, the imposter. You're an amateur. (laughs) 